Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Sunday evening edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. My name is Chase Thomas. Yeah, the still aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined as I am every Sunday on this program. My good friend down there in Tequila, Georgia, fellow University of North. Georgia alumni, go Nighthawks. Matt Green, Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Nighthawks, still undefeated in uh, college football, by the way. That's true. That's true. Do never, you still have the shirt? Never lost the game. No, uh, Tori has the shirt, actually. <laughs> she, she gave it back. Like, Was it one of those hoodie situations? Because fall season is here. It's steal your man's hoodie season. Was that what happened there? No, she's a, she's a North Georgia alum as well. So you okay. know, she's, she's repping it. Okay, there you go. There you go. I we're, like we're it. We're all night hacks. Uh, night hacks. Night hawks <laughs> in this house. There you go. There you go. Um, I'm excited, man. Lot, lot to cover. Lot, lot to cover tonight. Um, be, be honest. Once you get that that UT degree, are you ever gonna rip the night hawks again? Yeah, it's too. Like Maybe I mean, a, a vol hawk or something. You got a name for it? Well, the cool thing is, it's not like night I'm, vol. Well, the cool thing is I'm not having to choose between like two FBS schools, right? Like it's not like one of those situations where I'm ever going to have to to divvy up my loyalty between North Georgia and Tennessee on any sports sports field. So it's not really something I'm I'm all that worried about. But I'm still going to rep my my North Georgia stuff along with my Tennessee stuff. Um, No, they're very different, and they are very different parts of my life. And I like this podcast, Matt Green does not happen if i don't get a north georgia for undergrad people forget that through that so no no nighthawks for life shout out to the good folks down there don't don't uh, don't forget where you came from absolutely absolutely i yeah, mean like this year we were talking earlier this year like that was the first time i ever seen north georgia play uga and anything mm-hmm. and then i watched it for like two seconds i was like <laughs> okay i'm not i can't get into this game this is terrible georgia's not even good and they're gonna murder this team but um yeah maybe one day the, the vols will take on the nighthawks Maybe in basketball, I wouldn't hate it. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool, um, or just an FCS program for the Nighthawks. That would also be cool. I would go to like one of those a year. I would go up to Delano and watch the Nighthawks in a FCS setting. I don't think that's ever going to happen though. It seems pretty unlikely. Um, Matt Green, our favorite start to this very program, the headline story of the weekend. This is your bread and butter. What is your what is your headline story coming out of this crazy college football weekend? Um, I feel like it. I hate that he says my bread and butter because I don't feel like I had that good of one this week. But mm. I feel like what we learned is that college football is just going to be crazy this season. Like I think twenty twenty, I think the pandemic, no fans. I feel like it took so many of the intangibles out of college football and just kind of what makes college football great. You're just seeing. We're just seeing week in and week out. We have no idea what to expect. Like obviously, NC State upset in Clemson. I think is the biggest story of the weekend. But um, yeah, it's just. I think the the college football playoff is wide open. Like I think, on top of like, I mean, the ACC. You know, Boston College is still undefeated, but Wake Forest. I don't think, I don't think Wake Forest. I don't think anyone sees them as true playoff contenders. So like the ACC is like effectively eliminated. Mm-hmm. almost at this point and so 
Can we also that, pause there for a second? Because if Phil Dracovic was healthy and wasn't lost for the season, I was reading this. I think Heather Dinich in ESPN, who's a great cultural reporter for ESPN, she talked about this in like I think her opening point about this weekend. And I see this. I've seen this on other places as well, but it kind of stuck out to me of just like immediately writing off Wake Forest and BC and saying the resumes would not be strong enough to get in. And I'm like. Well, the, what's no? They're a Power Five program. If they like, I don't think Boston College or Wake Forest is running the table. I'm not suggesting that, but if they ran the table in the ACC and won the ACC undefeated, they're getting in the playoff. What are we talking about? Are we? Yeah, are we suge- without a doubt. Oh, although, uh, you, you remember Boston College was my sleeper. Yeah. In the ACC this year, I was high on the on the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, my guy Zay Jones with that game winning touchdown, but um, obviously I didn't even or Zay Flowers. I didn't mm-hmm. even realize uh, Dracovic was out, but I still took him because of that chip on their shoulder. But it's okay. But yeah, but just yeah, looking at the ACC, not that Boston College Wake Forest can't get in, but I think mm-hmm. we just all assume they won't have a. Those are two different conversations, right? Like I'm okay exactly. with that, saying that you don't think it's going to happen, but to suggest that if they were to run the gambit, that the resumes would not be strong enough to qualify for the playoff is um, just simply not true. Yeah, exactly. In the ACC, I mean, this is a conference that's gotten a a team in the playoffs, six Mm -hmm. straight playoffs. I mean, even got two teams in with Notre Dame and kind of one and a half when Notre Dame got in a couple years ago. Yeah. So if the ACC, like just the ACC alone being eliminated, like that just opens it up. Two ACC schools. Maybe two SEC schools. Oregon, I mean, the Pac-12 has been shut out. I mean, was was Washington, was that 2016 yep. playoff? Like, that's several years in a row the Pac-12 has been shut out. And, you know, I don't know if Cincinnati's been the most impressive group of five yeah. teams so far, but they still, they, they might have a chance. I and mean, that craziness happens, like, because we're still, I'm still in such wait-and-see mode with Oregon. Like, they have a great resume and deserve to be three right now. But to just presume that they're going undefeated through that conference, like I think that's a, they're a long way from that. Like I think Cincinnati might actually have a legit shot to get in there. Yeah, they they do. I think Cincinnati um, with the defense alone, they have a good shot. Um, I don't know. I think we're also over. Like you're talking about it being wide open. Here's where it's wide open. Three through thirty-five is where it's wide open. We're like I don't know how to frame ucla versus michigan i don't know how to frame oklahoma versus baylor i don't know how to frame arkansas versus cincinnati i don't know how to frame texas a&m versus notre dame like all these schools florida with Mm -hmm. like any of the top teams from any conference it's like we florida could be better than every other you know conference champion out there but they Mm -hmm. might just be stuck in the sec and might have losses to alabama and georgia i mean obviously they can still beat georgia but it's just it's such a and i think if they if there is enough one and two loss teams like who knows you might even look at a third sec team with florida if they're if their two losses are to number one and number two like that's that's crazy and i'm not gonna say that's gonna happen but you know with what's happening in the big 10 right now I, i don't really know who's gonna necessarily like it's most likely going to be Ohio State, but they look. I wouldn't say that. I don't yeah, know. Like the the, the Big Ten's pretty loaded. I mean, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan. Like I don't. Uh, I would. It's more of like, do you believe in Ohio State or would you bet on the field? And right now, I would bet on the field in the Big Ten because I think would the you Big go Michigan ahead of Michigan State right now. <sighs> yes, but I don't feel feel great about that. I think Michigan's defense yeah. is legit. 
based on what I've seen thus far, I really do believe K. McNamara is a steady hand, and this defense is so much improved versus what they had last year with Don Brown. Um, But I still think Penn State's better than Michigan this year. I think Penn State might have a case for the best team in the Big Ten. Iowa worried me um, kind of messing around with Iowa's offense is just too broken. This past week, but... um, where would you guess? Can I ask you? Where would you guess Iowa is in S and P plus Bill Connolly's uh, awesome ESPN stat? Oh, just man. on offense. Uh, is it not? Is it not kind of them? Just an offense, like in all of college football. This disparity is the biggest disparity I've seen uh, for this week. So he tracks it and he updates it each week. But like, it's I'm telling you, folks, this uh, Bill Connolly is the best when it comes to this stuff, and he he nails it. When you look at it, you're like, oh, this all makes sense. But you look at the disparity. I have not seen a power five disparity this big. What would you guess? When you're saying disparity, you're saying what they're ranked versus what the S&P Plus says they should be ranked? No, the S&P Plus, like their offensive S&P Plus and their defensive S&P Plus. Gotcha. So what are they like, third in the country in defense and like 80th in offense? Holy crap. You were extremely close. They are number three in defense and they're 91st in offense. Wow. Okay. Like, I just don't think that's real. Like, you're not running the Big Ten gambit with that kind of disparity between the two. But I I would say the same thing, but I feel like Iowa's got a way of kind of like, I don't know, making making people play down the trenches with them, like mm. play their style. So I wonder if, if Ohio State, like if, if Ohio State has a couple big plays or something, if they play down the line, it's like they're not going to be able to, to get in a shootout with them. But maybe they can get some stops like or some turnovers. Like their defense has made some plays so far this year. Yeah, and to bring it back, like I just think – that area is open like it's never been more open in that regard but i think georgia and alabama like it's just too much like none of those programs can run through a college football playoff gambit of beating georgia then bama or beating bama then georgia i don't think anybody is built um to do that georgia and alabama aren't just i think what we've learned this year is they're on their own their own playing field at the moment for me yeah and i'm like we got to see alabama versus a florida team like in the swamp like it was obviously a super close game, but that's a that's a big time environment to go into. Like with what we've seen out of Clemson, like I mean, I might be convinced that Georgia may have just broke Clemson. Like maybe they just exposed them. Well, Clemson didn't expect. Like Clemson's still number two in defense. Like that's the whole that's thing. Is like their defense is legit, but they've just gotten destroyed with injuries. Like yeah, they so are decimated. I'm excited to see Georgia, Arkansas. I think that's a, a legitimate top ten opponent here, and just kind of see what Georgia's made of because. While they have looked dominant, I mean, this they've played a bunch of cupcakes so far. Mm-hmm. They just, I feel like they've dominated the cupcakes way more than they once did. Mm-hmm. So it feels more legit. It feels like, I mean, they could have hung 100 on Vanderbilt if they wanted to. Like 35-0 after the, after the first quarter and JT Danos comes out. So I, um, I'm really curious. Yeah, like you said, Georgia and Alabama look at the top two. Big 10 seems pretty wide open. Um, and the Big 12 even, like... I honestly kind of made fun of Desmond Howard for saying that West Virginia was going to upset Oklahoma, like, at, in Norman. It's just like, you know, I'm with you if this is at West Virginia. Like, that's kind of a terrible call. Like, I just, I literally, like, thought that was a terrible pick. And, I mean, that game went down to the wire. Oklahoma wins at the very end. So, like, is West Virginia the second best team in the Big 12? I'm not even sure. So, no, I, I think o- it's one. I don't know. I think they're probably fifth I don't, or sixth. I have no idea what the Big 12 is. Like, Texas... I would have said there's no chance Texas uh, is p- competing for the Big 12 this year. Just year one of uh, Sarkeesian, but like 
You're missing the big one. You're missing the big one. I mean, Oklahoma State? No. Iowa State? No. Who am I missing? It's time we talk to our children about undefeated Baylor. Oh, okay. Baylor? Baylor? They Dave Aranda, he's doing some stuff. Baylor, um, their defense is legit. They play smart football. They kind of remind me of Cincinnati a little bit. Um, when I went back through and watched that game against Iowa State, like Baylor, Baylor is, I don't trust their offense altogether, but they're like a better version of Oklahoma State to me. So I, I don't know. I'm a believer in Baylor in the extent that like, are they the second best? I, I'm very curious. Baylor, Texas will be very fascinating to me. Baylor, um, I don't know. I, I do like Baylor. I would love to see Oklahoma Baylor Cincinnati. It seems like they're going to lose to somebody. Yeah. And some of those teams look solid. But what's got to be so frustrating if you're an Oklahoma fan is Oklahoma's 25th in defense. Like, the the defense isn't terrible this year. Um, they got a lot of players. It's just Spencer Rattler, and there's just something off with this offense and him getting uh, getting booed off the field with Caleb Williams' chance on Saturday night. Not a great look. And look, I'm not saying, Spencer, that if you were wearing orange and white um, next year that the fan base would not welcome you with open arms. Because, <laughs> like, if there's one thing about this Tennessee fan base is that um, they're normal. They back their quarterbacks at all times. They have not once this You're season. starting with normal? Are you, are you sure you want to say that? They, yeah. This, I, they're not normal for selling out, like, the last, like, however long. For mm-hmm. showing up for the last decade, that makes them not normal. But so they are passionate. I'll they're passionate. That. They're loyal. They never go against their quarterback. They they never would chant like Harrison Bailey, for instance. They would never chant for some backup behind you if you were in Knoxville, Spencer. Like you would, you get to play in Josh Heupel's offense, the 32th, 32 ranked S and P plus program in year one, where he didn't get a full offseason coming in with all the transfer turnover. Calling it, right. right, I mean. All right. <laughs> All right, let's let's take it easy on the, on the Spencer Rattler transfer portal pitch. I mean, it's not looking good. I I don't see how um how we don't do that. But let's get into this weekend's games, Matt. Let's let's do that. Let's get into this weekend's games. Um, we have to start with Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Let's uh let's start with the uh with the pick 'em, mm. the uh, results for the weekend. If we must, <laughs> if we we must. So impressively, for a fourth week in a row, oh no, you've gone exactly five and six. Okay. And then you went four and seven against the spread this week. If I was a gambler, I'm just like, I I actually joked uh, with the sports renaissance woman about this the other day where I was like, I think last year I I did enough where I like, I literally broke even. It was just a waste of a fall where like, I just, I always end up somewhere in the middle where it's like, there's no point in me ever wagering on anything. Cause I just feel like I'm going to end yeah, up. That's exactly how it was for me when I went to Vegas for March madness. Uh-huh. Like, I, I played so many games and over the, over the weekend, I was ultimately like around even it's like, mm-hmm. But my one buddy puts down like $800 on LSU in the first round, hits that one bet, and is like set for the weekend. I'm like, damn, that kills me. He put $800 on LSU? Yeah, man. On the one, it was it was it was crazy. It was like well, a six eleven matchup. I can't remember which one they won. Oh they my were. goodness. Maybe it was like eight nine. I can't remember. But yeah, just put it all a huge bet on one game mm. and just hit it. It's like that's not. I just can't do that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't have that kind of cash flow. But um, overall, I went seven and four and five and six against the spread. Mm. And for the third week in a row, Zeus home dog <laughs> of the week hits like three and zero on the season. Took Mississippi State home dog. Took BYU home dog in this past week. 
he took Boston College Eagles. He just knew, you know, you just don't, you don't, uh, you don't disrespect Jeff Halfley in that program. No, you don't. I like so, it. Yeah. Good for him. The year. Good for Zeus. Making it happen. Shout out to Zeus. Um, Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Notre Dame beats him down. We get a Drew Pine uh, sighting. And shout out to Ty Hildenbrand of the Solid Verbal, who was sitting on this joke for a while. Did you see this? Uh, I did not. There's a pine cone situation going on in Notre Dame. Oh, man, that's gold. <laughs> I did see that that classic <laughs> meme of, like, the dude, you know, turning around and looking at the other the other girl, you know, he's with mm-hmm. his girl holding hands, looking back, and it was a game day sign, and it was um, Jack Cohn, mm-hmm. like, turn around, he's with Wisconsin, looking back at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. it's like that. that was good stuff, quality. <laughs> I just, this is, like, I hope this is an awakening for Wisconsin, like, Paul Chris needs to take this, like, what a grammar it's finished, 19 of 40 something, um, very Bo Nixian, this game, and it was not a good weekend for Bo Nixian quarterbacks. Bo Nix. um just awful um but also i love the jt finley uh celebrating with the crowd and treating it as though they just beat alabama um surviving a overtime win at home against georgia state but we'll get to that hey it's it's better than a close loss to georgia i don't know what you're talking about so (laughs) notre dame really lays it to him tyler buckner was not available with a hamstring injury so pine came in when cone got injured too so it seems like a lot more quarterbacks have gotten injured this year than in years past i would like to see a piece on that if that's true just like a, a confirmation bias for me but um wisconsin looks bad like they weren't able to run the ball notre dame's defense is legit uh i like notre dame is <laughs> i can already see it happening i mean shout out to brian kelly for breaking the Notre Dame wins record, all-time great coach. But this Notre Dame team is young. They don't have the skill talent. They don't have the quarterback yet. And they still might sneak around and get into the playoff again and get dropped, dropped by whoever they get matched up with. And it won't be their fault because they're playing their schedule. They survive. They're clearly a top 10 team. They're just not a top five team, but they're surviving. And I am concerned that Notre Dame is going to survive and go 11 and one and make the playoff again. I think people need to prepare themselves. It's definitely, it, it, it might be possible, but yeah, I mean, don't get it. Like the 41, 13 scoreline looks like they just blasted them, but like Notre Dame, their offense looked pretty much garbage the entire game yes. as well. Like they were able to do nothing. Like what are they nine rushing yards on 32 mm-hmm. carries? Like if it weren't for that, just monster fourth quarter, like what was it? two pick sixes yeah. and, a, and a kick return or a, yeah, a kick return for a touchdown. Like that just completely made this look like a different game. So they might feel good coming out of this game, but like this, this team is going to trip up at some point. I feel like they're just, they're, they're not good enough. Like I feel like Notre Dame is pretty much always good on the offensive line, able to like be physical and like run the ball. Like they can't really do that this year. And I don't know. I, I just don't know if Jack Cone is, it's going to be a guy that can lead them to like an undefeated season. Cause that's what it's going to take. Cause like you said, like if it's a one loss and they, like they have a blemish on the, on the record at the end of the year, it's like they don't really pass the eye test necessarily. But if this, go, if this team goes undefeated, like they're going to be in the playoff without a doubt. But, but yeah, I just came away from this game. Like Graham Mertz is just, Wisconsin is just has such a ceiling with, with him at quarterback. Like he's now, one touchdown and six picks on the season like not 
not great. And he's averaging like it's like six yards an attempt or something. Yeah. Too. Like it's like 180 Oof. yards a game or something. Yeah. Graham Mertz in this Wisconsin offense just like I think this Wisconsin team is solid and the defense is solid, but they're they just can't score any points. Where's Jim Sorge when you need him? Um, speaking of good quarterback play, though, and by speaking of, meaning the exact opposite, because that was not what you were getting with the Irish and the Badgers on Saturday afternoon. No, Mississippi speaking State. Of needing good quarterback. Yes. Play. There you go. Max Johnson. Have you seen the numbers this man's putting up to start this year? Yeah, man, I told you. I was a, I was a believer in LSU last week. Not, I wasn't really a believer in LSU. I just, I, I was less of a believer in Mississippi State. But, um, yeah, they were. They were winning that. They were winning big, even though like Mississippi State was kind of like they were kind of they were had they had like I think the ball like thirty five to twenty five or something time of possession. Like yes. they, they had more yards, a lot more yards than LSU in this game. Like I feel like they were moving the ball and they were running for like over a hundred yards. So they just couldn't stop the big plays from LSU. He's just putting on a clinic. Like, I, I want to pull up his actual stats because I saw them earlier and it was bonkers. Um, what is it? Yeah, so yesterday, this was from Cody Warsham, where he was like, yeah, he is now, there it is. He is an FBS, FBS best six-game streak of three or more touchdown passes. Wow. Like, he, his last six passes when he had thrown that out against a very good Mississippi State defense, he was six for six, 153 yards, two TDs, like... Max Johnson is is a dude. Like he is a he is the guy, and he's got a cannon. He had a bomb here where the dude was wide open um, downfield to put him up twenty one to three. But like, I am impressed, and like he change he changes everything. Like Max Johnson's gonna mess around and save Ed Ordron's job this fall. I could see it. I was not leaving uh, LSU out for dead after that early loss to UCLA. So, and you know. Auburn hasn't won in Death Valley since like the nineties or something. So mm. like I could see him, you know, being what, like five and one, uh, when, when they play Florida. So Ooh. they, they have a tough schedule like that, that stretch of, I mean, even at Kentucky's tough. So you got Auburn at Kentucky, Florida at Ole Miss at Alabama, then Arkansas. That's six games in a row right there. Versus five ranked teams, like that's pretty absurd. So your LSU is not going to hide from it. If if they're if they're legit, they're going to prove it. But um, I'm sure they'll get tripped up a couple times in there. I think so, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, next up, Mizzou BC. I missed this. Uh, Mizzou blows it um, in overtime. Connor Basilek ends this game with a pick. BC gutsy effort. Um, but this is like the difference between Mizzou going nine and three and Mizzou going seven and five. So. Year two for Drinkwitz, like I, I do think he he played himself by talking mess before before this game, and it seems like Jeff Halfley and the, the Boston College Eagles took it personally and uh, came away with a gutsy win against a a pretty pretty solid SEC program. Love the uniforms that Mizzou is rocking in this game. By the way, this is a very uniform aesthetically pleasing game for me. You like that? Yeah, yeah I like they're, BCs. They're I like them. They... Yeah. I feel like they're going to try to wear 12 different uniforms this year. It looks like mm. Missouri. They're rocking something different every week. But, um, yeah, the, I was just a believer in, like, the intangible. Um, just Boston College playing with a chip on their shoulder in this game. Like, and they were, like, 275 yards on the ground. Like, they were 
they were the more physical team. Like they were pretty much dominating this game until the fourth quarter. And um, Missouri scored on each of their last three drives to send us to overtime. And uh, I thought Boston College was the better team in this game. And yeah, the uh, the late the late pick sealed it. And uh, as you know, like we said earlier, Zeus three and mm-hmm. season home dog of the week. He knew Take something we didn't. He we knew something or he knew something that we didn't. Also, um, put Boston College in the top twenty-five. This is a top twenty-five team, four and zero. Okay. Iowa State, or excuse me, Texas A&M, Arkansas. I watched this whole game. Um, my notes were okay. The time of possession battle was crazy, very different. Arkansas was putting up points on explosive plays. Uh, in my notes, Traylon Burks is bonkers. Like he, I don't know if he's the best receiver in the SEC, but I'm not not saying that. He had some grabs in this game. I, I just Traylon Burks is a dude. Um, Arkansas was able to run early on this group. KJ Jefferson was banged up, and I think that's something to monitor going into Saturday. Um, AM's defense is legit. Like, this defense is good enough to win the SEC, but this offense is just not. Zach Calzada was just, uh, he was seeing ghosts. He he holds the ball for way too long. He has a lot of Carson Wentz-itis back there, and Jimbo was just losing years off his life um, with his reads and uh this offensive line got brutalized too like arkansas's front set like they they mentioned this in the broadcast a lot and this is pretty wild but like it was true danielson mentioned it where it's like they're sending three dudes so they're able to uh just put a bunch of guys in coverage and still get a pass rush like calzada could not do anything with the pass rush and I, i would like to pull up pff's rating for him for uh versus being out of pressure versus not but he's He's not good, and Isaiah Spiller had a good run in this game. He did some stuff. Shane's okay as a backup, nice change of pace guy, but um, their tight end wasn't involved at all, Wittemeyer, and A&M, their defense is legit. Elko came to play, but, like, this offense has nothing. Like, they, Calzada's just not good enough, and I think A&M has some real problems without Haynes King for the foreseeable future because Calzada's bad, like, really, really bad. Yeah, I think Arkansas, like, their defense definitely looked impressive, and they, like, flew to the ball. But once K.J. Jefferson went out, I mean, that was, what, three or four possessions in a row. Was that the entire third quarter or just about, like, Mm -hmm. some into the fourth? Like, they did basically nothing offensively. Like, I feel like if if A&M had a pulse at all offensively, I think they win this game. Like, I think Arkansas, I'm still, like, impressed by what Arkansas did. But they just they went way too long in this game without any points. And A and M, I feel like Zach Calzada, like I don't know who the third stringer is for him, <laughs> but like they just look so limited offensively. Like Isaiah Spiller's run, like that was literally like the only thing they did the entire game. Like I just I'm not sure how uh, how a Jimbo Fisher offense can look this bad, honestly. Like it's um it's it's. I, A&M went from like you know dark horse playoff team to like we talked about LSU's schedule like they're not going to hide from the SEC West like if if you're not if you're not that good you're going to lose four or five games and this A&M team is now looking like more of a, an eight and four kind of team. Yeah, and it's all because of the quarterback situation because that defense is legit. Um, Iowa State Baylor. Baylor putting Iowa State in the Cyclones at two and two. Baylor four zero. 
I mean, they are they're moving. They have no downfield presence whatsoever. But that defense is humming, man. The the Baylor Bears. You know what Big Twelve is? The Big Twelve defense, defense, defense. It's what we grew up on, Matt Green. The Big Twelve <laughs> being the defensive conference, but it is, man. This was a slugfest, and Baylor is. I came away like they're like we need to talk about nine and three Baylor. That's a possibility now. How do we feel about Matt Campbell right now? Mm. It's like this guy is like the, you know, maybe the hottest coach in the country coming into this season. Like, you know, he, he was talked about with that same kind of the way Dan Mullen was talked about at Mississippi State. You know, mm. it's like what he's doing based on the talent he has. It was is just super impressive. Now, you know, they brought back every starter from last year. Like they they are a veteran team with, you know, with with everyone back, you know, and they were a good team last year. I think. Like, are we selling stock on Matt Campbell now? Like, this two-and-two start where even the – even the was it Northern Iowa in the opener? Like, the offense didn't look good. And it's – I'm not sure what to expect. Like, what like what is an acceptable season for, for Matt Campbell to still – for him to still be, you know, the, the next, you know, coach, like kind of superstar coach in waiting? Like if they lose eight and four, like are we are we backing off on on Iowa State and Matt Campbell? We're backing off of him getting the Michigan job. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think this could be a real the USC job. For him. Yeah, like I mean, are they going to be better next year after they lose a lot of this talent? Like I'm not sure. Like this may have been Iowa State's window, and a two and two start is not is not what they were expecting this year. No, speaking of not expecting their their start, Florida State zero and four after dropping that game to Louisville over the weekend. Um, the card survived, but man, I, I just... The thing that's holding on with Florida State is this recruiting class that I think right now stands at number five for 2022. But like, Hunter is... He's and not Travis showing... Hunter's like not wavering at all. At all, yeah. And I just don't <laughs> get it. Like, you sure you want to play down there, man? Like, there's no one, no other good players. I, I don't know. What is what is your takeaway from this game? Like is are you more optimistic about where Satterfield's going with the cards or are you just like is this ship sinking, taking on too much water at Norvell to survive? Because like they don't want to pay three coaches, but it's like there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point. Like if the Knolls go like two and ten is not acceptable. Like three and nine is not acceptable. Like at that point you're like, man, I I don't know. I, I don't know what rock bottom is, but oh and four before you're even really deep into ACC play is nightmarish. Yeah, I think, and I think both things can definitely be true. Like Florida state, like even when you're rebuilding, like it shouldn't be this bad, Mm. but I think is, is Louisville a dark horse ACC contender right now? Like, I mean, North Carolina just went down. Clemson just lost to NC state. Like, Louisville, honestly, with Malik Cunningham, like he's looking like he's taking strides this year. He's two two rushing touchdowns for the fourth game in a row. Like this guy, he's a dynamic athlete, and the ACC seems to be wide open. Hey, I mean Louisville's three and one. Uh, Wake Forest is four and zero. Oh. Like we we thought before they the season. This week too. Is it Louisville Wake Forest this at, week? At Wake Forest, this Ooh. is twelve thirty. I like that. I like that. Um, they are in the Atlantic. Yeah, as, as you know, because we <laughs> obviously know the ACC division so well. But um, yeah, I just 
The ACC is just a mess, man. Look at the Coastal. Georgia Tech might win the Coastal. Yeah, I mean, maybe... Maybe we're discrediting Georgia Tech. I, 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 maybe I should throw my, uh, throw that prediction, my hot take for the future out there. Maybe oh, yeah. Georgia Tech is ahead of schedule, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the Atlantic looks pretty solid. You just assume that that's a foregone conclusion that Clemson's winning it. But with NC State, Louisville, Boston College, maybe give Wake some love if you want. But I mean, I don't think they're a real contender. But yeah, I wonder. Uh, might not be easy for Clemson to get get back to Charlotte. Man. That would be. That'd be wild. That would be wild. So well, speaking of Clemson, saw Brian Brissie out for the year. Yes. ACL. It looked like Shipley was gonna be gone for the year too, but it looks like he's he avoided a season ender, which is great. Um, Clemson though, they go down as you mentioned to NC State over the weekend. NC State should have won in regulation. Just a a botched easy kick, and I was like, oh no, Clemson's gonna survive this. I know it felt like yeah, you don't get that many chances to win a game. I think no. you missed two fifty yarders, and then that one was like what like thirty something. Like, yeah, that was that was a bad one. Well, what do you make of it? Because I came away like NC State's defense is legit. Clemson's defense is still legit, but like Clemson's offense, man, there's just the injuries are part of it. But who are you more concerned about, Spencer Rattler or DJ Uyunglele? Um, Uyunglele, at least they seem to finally run him some in this game. Mm-hmm. He actually made a an impact uh, on the ground. It's it's tough to say. I feel like Rattler still, you know, he's he's shown the ability to, you know, throw deep balls and like throw touchdowns. Like you just still haven't seen that from from Uyunglele. So I honestly feel dumb for making for missing this pick because I felt like NC State had some upset potential here mm-hmm. in, in Raleigh, but I just kind of went back to common wisdom. Like surely NC, surely Clemson is good enough to just take care of business. But, but yeah, I thought uh, Devin Leary, you know, props to him. He came to play. I think Honestly, Devin Leary, that Devin Leary to Devin Carter touchdown, that might be the play of the year in college football. Mm. Like, you remember, like, the Michael Crabtree touchdown yeah. versus Texas that just got shown over and over? Like, that might be that moment, just that right in the corner of the end zone to beat uh, number three, or I guess they were, like, number nine at this point. Mm. But to beat Clemson, just this uh, national powerhouse, like, that was just an awesome moment. It's, it's just part of what we're getting in a, a crazy college football season so far i mean i could see the same situation with javante payton um streaking down the silence against uh gets a certain jordan georgia bulldog corner maybe that's the same thing maybe that... that's it just somebody getting behind you on a pick play and then upending georgia season who knows is that what's gonna happen in knoxville anything's possible <laughs> um ucla comes to play i called this one um, that UCLA would bounce back here. Tanner McKee was still fine in this one, but UCLA bounces back three and one in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South. Still, um, they look good. Uh, UCLA, I think, is fine. Do you have any takeaways on this one? Yeah, I think you called this one. Um, I think there was a little overreaction to UCLA's loss to Fresno State, but um, you know Stanford was in this one for a while. But uh, but yeah, UCLA just too much on the ground and i guess dorian thompson robinson he came back in after the mm-hmm. injury right so i think he's he's, he's good. fine yeah okay so yeah but stanford made it close but um they weren't able to play stanford football really 67 yards on 22 carries they just weren't able to run the ball well enough yeah gone are the bryce love days we need to bring those back 
Um, Toby Gerhardt days. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, Tennessee, Florida. Okay. Um, we were talking about like scores that don't match up if you didn't watch this game. Um, this is a score that does not match up if you did not watch the game. Because you don't think so? No. I mean, I did call this, by the way. Very close. Because Florida did run it up at the end with the touchdown. So if you remove that garbage time touchdown that they ran late in the fourth, I almost <laughs> called this exactly. Like, I almost called this exactly. You know, this was almost the exact score I called. I mm. said 38-17. 38-14? I said 27-13. That's, that's pretty close, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I called Florida covering the spread. I got to toot my own horn. For well, they that. only cut. Co- okay. Well, they cover because Tennessee missed a dumb field goal right down the middle. Um, poor McGrath to end the half. Um, this is a different game if Callaway does not drop that fourth down. Um, his mesh route where he's coming yeah, out the left side. That's so true. Was it was a touchdown. Was there was no one there. 14? Like, yeah, it was seventeen fourteen at that time, and Tennessee no, had the momentum. That was when it was twenty four fourteen. No. No? No, that was 17-14. Okay. Because um, we were still in the driver's seat. It may have been... Yeah, no, it, it couldn't have been. I don't think it was 24-14. Um, unless I'm really misremembering now. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it... Yeah, because it was 17-14 at the half, then Florida yeah. scored on the first... They did, okay, yeah. The second half, then that was the next one. So yeah. they were like, they were driving. That's true. And they it, were that, still in the game at that point. Right, and if you make that field goal at the end of the first half, and then you're driving, so it's 17, theoretically 17-24, um, and then you're driving, and then it's tied. And then you're really in the thick of things at the end of the third. Um, the offensive line was still a problem. They're just tired. Uh Tennessee was able to run on Florida early. Like, Hendon Hooker was making the right throws. He was able to get the right reads. Teon Evans is a star. I hope he makes it one more year here. Um, Tennessee's been fine running the football without Chandler and um, Gray this year. Uh, Hypel scheme gets these guys open. Javante Payton on the explosive plays. Callaway, he's got to have that. I mean, but they do dumb stuff. Like, the nine people um, on the field for the punt return um there was some confusion there too many penalties still like this is still a really really undisciplined team but it's growing pains they're making progress the thing about uh, you can learn how much people actually watch in a scene study them based on how they talk about them because this is the defense is keeping them in this like the defense has been solid and they played florida hard emory jones was able to get out late and they just wore tennessee down because tennessee just does not have the depth to compete with florida yet but I, I think Mullen after the game said it where he's like, this is a very different team than what we saw last year. And in the last couple of years, like Tennessee is they fought and they didn't have the bodies. A lot of dudes went down in this game. Um, but I mean, that ripped fumble at the end of the first half to save really the momentum by Alante Taylor. And it was just such a gut punch to miss that field goal to be tied going to the half. But they hit Florida in the mouth and through three quarters, they were right there with Florida, but they do not have the depth and the, uh just the i would say i mean the quarterback play for sure like they hooker going down and milton coming in and immediately just uh you know it, it, it's not good um so i don't even know that heupel declined to talk about hooker status for this week so i don't know what's happening with him and who will be under center but you know i came away as like there were a lot of positives and i think heupel is a play caller man that dude is going to dial up explosive plays and when he gets the quarterback that he wants and this offensive line gets a little bit more depth tennessee's offense is going to be top 10 in smp plus very soon like it's just it's it's on the way yeah in terms of uh you know the score reflecting the game i think that that 
turnover right before the half, I think that kind of goes to it. Like, obviously, you can say it's a, a big-time play Tennessee made to force the fumble. But at the same time, Florida is at the 10-yard line. You know, could have made it 24-14 at the half, but instead goes in 17-14. So Florida, I think, was the better team in this game. Tennessee put up a good fight for sure. But I think this is what you, what Dan Mullen wants. You know, he wants he wants this this dual threat quarterback that can just they can just bleed the clock with these these ten these twelve yard twelve play drives like in like they just own the time of possession in this game. And Emory Jones was efficient. Like if he can just be an efficient passer, then then you know the sky's the limit for Florida. Really, if they're able to run the ball and Emory Jones is actually able. To, to make plays through the air, you know, they look like a, a very good team. Absolutely. Work in progress. Work in progress. Um, UCLA, or excuse me, K-State, OK State. Um, OK State just survives, man. Um, pulling this out, like, I was just like, I'm ready for Oklahoma State Baylor. I don't know when it is on the calendar, but I am. I'm here for this because I have no idea how this works, but K-State is who they I thought they were without... Uh, without Skyler Thompson. Baylor is this week. Is it really? Yeah. So Delightful. You're, uh, you'll get it. Delightful. I'm going to be just captivated yeah, by this. Everybody, the, the one true champion in the Big 12, except for the year that they did a co-champion. But I'm excited. That's going to be a delight. Um, West Virginia, really, really keeping it close. And I think West Virginia wins this game if this is in Morgantown. That was something I jotted down where I was like, if this, this game, like if this game happens in Morgantown, I think West Virginia wins this one. Like Spencer Rattler, like we were just ready to just hand this guy the Heisman trophy mm-hmm. before the season started. And like this Oklahoma offense is just, just hasn't been great. I just want, I want people to bring the same energy that they bring at Kirby at Lincoln Riley. All right. That's all I'm saying. Just, if Kirby's defenses are giving up 40 points a game, multiple games in a row, like we'd be we'd be uh, crucifying Kirby Smart, you know? There'd be there'd be all kinds of talk about how he recruits, but he can't but he can't coach in the games. Like this is another unimpressive performance by Oklahoma's offense, and I'm not really sure what the problem is. Like you know, they we know how much talent is on this team. Like we. Like there's a reason they were uh, they were a top three team. Like we we saw what they were last year, and they brought a lot back. And the defense actually looks good now, and, and now it's the offense holding Oklahoma back. So I just this was supposed to be the year for the Sooners, and it's it's not looking like it so far. No, but you know they're in the Big Twelve, and they still have a bunch of talent. And they're still loaded across the board, and they have time to figure it out. Um, and I still sure. would I would not bet against Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley figuring it out. I would still say they're in they're in a very good position to make the playoff, but I don't think they're in the same stratosphere right now as Georgia and Alabama. Um, we're gonna take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, and we'll wrap up with some uh, with some other news. All right, I'm gonna run through three other stray topics from this weekend and you can tell me what you'd like to cover of this three what or you can if you have thoughts on all three that's also fine but georgia southern fires coach lunsford after a couple years down there in statesboro they've lost three straight um group of five coaches are going down like flies moving on from willie fritz turned out to really really backfire on uh on the eagles ohio state buckeyes dismiss Kayvon Pope, this was a stunner. After throwing his pads off and tweeting about F Ohio State, 
uh, is not back <laughs> with the team and has been dismissed. Uh, crazy. Oh, we, uh, we, we can't do that now? We no. Can't, we can't just walk off the sideline <laughs> and tweet. And he said he tweeted that it was yes. like 9.15 or something, right? So that game was still going on. Yes. That had to be like one of the first things he did. Like, There's so many old people out there that are just so thankful that Twitter didn't exist. Mm-hmm. When they were 18, 19, 20 years old, like you're just mad about something and then you tweet about it. And, you know, I like to see what Ohio State said that they're, you know, they're an honorary scholarship for the rest of the semester. Like you can still use the facilities and everything like that. But, you know, I think I guess is there a way to come back from that? Like do all the right things like everyone knows you got caught up in the heat of the moment. Like. I don't know, but I guess if you, if you could do that and not get kicked off the team, then more people might do that. So I guess you do you have to set an example. Yeah. SMU lamely apologize for the flag planting on TCU's logo over the weekend. This was lame. Just this was awesome. Like I understand you kind of have to, but like no, this was hilarious. Did you watch the video? He ran back out in the field and then they like broke it in half and like there was a fight with the broken flag. Yeah, it was almost a fight. Yes. I thought this was a delight. We don't have enough of this in college football anymore because of all the conference realignment that we don't have true rivalries. And SMU and TCU is a true rivalry. SMU's undefeated. They knock off the Horn Frogs. Like that was cool. Like the the kids wanted to get excited. They were excited. Like this is a cool thing. It's just a flag. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all okay. for the uh, the petty rivalries. But I mean, I mean, who apologized? Like the university? No, Sonny Dykes did. No, that's fair. I mean, you know, there's everyone's got their opinion. I, uh, it's definitely disrespectful to plant your flag, but I feel like if you do it, just own it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, add a sticker. Remove a sticker, Matt Green. My stickers. I award them to hyper hyper the hypels play calling in that Florida game. Just putting out a play calling clinic. Jeff Sims coming back after Jordan Yates playing well in his absence, beating down the North Carolina Tar Heels in Mercedes Benz because Tech is trying to do that now, which is still weird. But hey, do what you got to do. Um, Dave Doran and Dave Clawson. It's everything is coming up. Dave Matt Green in North Carolina. It's a great time to be named Dave and be a college football coach in North Carolina. People forget that. Um, People do forget. Your. I got my, yeah. uh, my add a sticker. I'm giving it to Jamison Williams mm. for Alabama. First player in SEC history to ever return two kicks uh, for touchdowns and have a receiving touchdown in the same game. This man touched the ball four times. Had a 100-yard kick return, 81-yard uh, reception, and an 83-yard kick return. Like, just basically going for like 80, 90 yards a touch. Um, pretty absurd. Obviously, Alabama just smoked Southern Miss. And then I'm also giving a sticker to your boy, mm. Georgia's leading receiver, Brock Bowers. This is why we don't text. This is why I We're hate texting running. because you didn't understand. I was laying it on thick, Matt Green, on Saturday. What a jet sweeps to Brock Bowers. This mm. guy, his elite athlete, mm-hmm. he leads Georgia in receptions yards and touchdowns right now he had three total touchdowns one rushing two receiving and georgia's absolute beatdown of vanderbilt and mm. i'm all for like i guess in this one i'm more understandable because jt daniels obviously we know about the oblique uh injury he was had early in the season but like they took him out at the end of the first quarter like mm. 35-0 like i at least 
get into halftime. Let's get this thing 49-0. Let, let JT Daniels have four or five touchdowns before he gets like nine of ten or something. Like I wanted to see JT Daniels more, but but I understand. You know, you got to give Stetson Bennett those reps yeah. in case it uh, in case it's his turn to to come in. Uh. Uh, uh, uh. I just we got to relegate Vanderbilt like Louisiana should be in the SEC East this year like it would make it it would be a far more entertaining slate like yeah like Mm. I know Vanderbilt's not good that we really do but like I've never seen a beat down like the one I saw on Saturday like Mm. at one point in the fourth quarter Georgia had more points than Vanderbilt had yards like they ended up with 77 total yards on the game, like 24 passing yards, like four first downs. Georgia scored eight touchdowns. Vanderbilt had four first downs. Like it was just unbelievable. Like, like you said, this team, they're bad sometimes. Like, mm. I mean, they're usually bad, but like they seem worse and less competitive than, than they usually are. Honestly. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Um, PJ Fleck, I'm removing a sticker from him. Losing at home to Bowling Green. I watched Bowling Green up close a few weeks ago. That's who Tennessee opened with and beat the living crap out of Matt Green. He lost at home. He's had weeks to prepare. Like, Bowling Green is awful. Like, Scott Lawford's offense is awful. Like, this is a terrible FBS team. Things are bad. PJ Fleck, not getting any uh, big Power 5 looks after this one. Uh, USC's interim... Could he win the job? No, he can't. He just got blown out at home by uh, the Oregon State Beavers for the first time in forever. Uh, but can I give some love to my beefs? Very Pac-12 friendly on this podcast as well. Um, Jonathan, love for the beefs. Jonathan Smith is an offensive savant, and he I hope he gets a bigger job soon. Or, you know, if he's happy at, in Corvallis, then I don't, I'm not trying to pull your, your coach, Oregon State fans. But, like... Washington may have made a mistake not just keeping that dude around and elevating him to head coach. When dude, I saw I saw a throwback. Mm-hmm. It was like the 2000 or like 2001 Sports Illustrated preview. Mm. Ken Simonton and Joey Harrington on the cover. They had Oregon and Oregon State like preseason one and two. Ooh. I was like, what world is this? <laughs> like, this is just absurd. Like, I love seeing like those... I have like old Sports Illustrated that like that I haven't thrown out, and I'm just like, one day <laughs> just look back at this magazine, see these recruits, and it's like it's awesome, you know. Just you don't get it, but one day you'll you'll see. But absolutely, um, but yeah, it was just it was absurd seeing that. Um, USC's interim Spencer Rattler not good again. Caleb Williams, I don't know. The noise is getting louder and louder, and that dude is. I mean, you have another five star sitting there. Um, I, I I'm gonna guess Lincoln Riley goes to him sooner rather than later. Um, well, your removal like thing with mm. with like the Jake Fromm and Justin Fields thing. It's like at least Jake Fromm was playing well, right? So you didn't, you know, and Georgia was winning games. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, Oklahoma is winning games, but Spencer it's ugly. isn't playing yeah. well. Like he at least needs to start to get some looks. But um, yeah, as far as my removing stickers, like we said, Lincoln Riley. I got him. I, I got that Oklahoma offense. Just I got them on uh, on blast right now. Like mm. I just need to see more from Oklahoma. Like they just they. This was supposed to be the they were taking that step. So right now I'm taking a stick from Lincoln Riley. Maybe he can earn it back. And then the other one, I think we need to take notice of is Dabo Swinney. Like Ooh. 
Clemson's at 25 right now. We we didn't really talk about the rankings. They're at 25. Like that's that's insane. They haven't been outside the top 10 since like 2014, I think. And it's a uh, I think it, it's easy to coach when you have like Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence like in three of the or six of like the last seven years as your starting quarterback. So and even Taj Boyd before that like was a great college quarterback. So with with DJ Uyunglele struggling like. I think we, uh, if uh, you don't see Nick Saban have to have seasons like this, so I think Clemson really needs to get things together. Like maybe it's just the one loss to Georgia and then just one conference loss, and they write the whole ship. But you know, if we're really going to consider Dabo like in Saban, you know, one A, one B, like we need to know more. We need to see Clemson like it's one. If your offense is exposed two weeks into the season. Don't just come out and do the same thing every week. That's They look like the same team that plays Georgia, the same team that put up 14 against Georgia Tech. Like I haven't seen any real adjustments made by Clemson to think that this is going to get any better. So I think Dabble and Clemson, you got to put on notice right now. Absolutely. All right, Matt Green. Well, that's all I've got tonight for our Sunday night recap edition. More to come after this uh, portion of the podcast, but we'll be back on Wednesday for our week preview. Like this, this is going to be a stacked, stacked weekend uh, of picks. I'm excited to get the pick them um, in the coming days, because I think this weekend's going to be going to be going to be nuts. Still salty about Georgia, Arkansas noon kickoff. Okay. I tweeted about this. The college game day is going to be there. Yeah, I did. So okay. Clearly they made the wrong choice there, but um, it's, I'm sure it's going to be cool. Like they did this past week. They'll like have it, the uh, studio set up like on the mm-hmm. sideline for that noon kickoff. But um, I'm, I'm glad as a Georgia fan, I'm excited by it because you need to get up for those noon games and you can seems can sometimes sleepwalk through those games. So, you know, Game day being there, it just creates that big game atmosphere, and I think uh, I think both teams will come ready to play. Well, people are complaining that it's like, oh, how often does it happen for a noon kickoff for game day? And I'm like, we've gotten two game days to this point that have been on neutral site NFL stadiums. I will take whatever I can get at this point. Like, whatever. Like, it, I don't care when it starts. Why does it matter when the game starts for game day being there? I don't understand why people get... Well, because I think fans want to be at game day, but if it's a noon kickoff, like you're not going to be in the crowd for like Corso's picks and everything like that. So I do kind of understand that. And personally, like for me, like if it was like a seven o'clock game, I would have driven down to Athens just to go to game day and then like come back and just watch the game at my house or something. Mm. Like it would have been, it would have been nice. Uh, it would have been nice to do that. But I, uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, we got some good ones. Ole Miss, Alabama, three thirty. So. Just talking talking more ball this week, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. Follow Matt Green at Matt underscore Green on Twitter.com. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. If you like listening to Matt and I on this very podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at ChaseThomasPodcast at gmail.com. Again, ChaseThomasPodcast at gmail.com for any college football questions you would like for us to answer. Matt Green, I will talk to you. In a, I'm doing math in my head. One, two, three. Three days. I will talk to you in three days, Matt Green. Yes, sir.
All right, hello, and welcome back as the Sunday Night Baseball edition of this very podcast returns after a week away. Uh, feeling better. Uh, Stacy Gotsoulias is here as she is every single Sunday night of Locked On Yankees. And if you have not already subscribed to Locked On Yankees on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or we get your podcast, make sure to do so. That is Locked On Yankees. Stacy, good evening. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am better. I am better. Um, you just watched Yankees Red Sox. So, so how how long was the time? Was this a six and a half hour game? What was the official time for this one? You know what? I don't even know. But it wasn't surprisingly enough. But it was a typical crazy Red Sox Yankees game mm. where just a lot of weird stuff happened, and I mean it could only be that sort of game on. Um, ESPN because that's the way it, it was only 342 that's actually it's not bad low for a Yankees Red Sox games I mean I had Sunday night or I had Sunday tickets at the old stadium and was always stuck at Red Sox Yankees Sunday night games or Mets Yankees Sunday nights game Sunday night games in the early 2000s mid 2000s mm-hmm. and you know I lived in Manhattan was still getting home at like two in the morning because the games were so long <laughs> It's ridiculous. So 342 is nothing for a Yankee Red Sox game. That's nothing. I'm actually looking at the old Yankee Stadium right now. So my dad got me um, a framed photo from one of my birthdays years ago of old Yankee Stadium. I can't tell what year it is, but it's a beautiful shot um, from right field. Uh, that you can see everything. So it is funny that that's how this worked out, Stacy. Just having this <laughs> podcast and then having uh, the uh, the old Yankee Stadium in front of me. I have not been to the new one. I have still not been. I've dr- I've been by it, um, but I have not not been inside. I've been inside City Field. It's very dumb that I've been in City, but not uh, not in uh, the new Yankee Stadium. Have you been in both? I assume yes. Oh yes. Okay. Um, I actually did a dual stadium double header. Mm. in 2012 because the Yankees and Blue Jays were rained out on a on a on a weeknight mm-hmm. and they made up the game the next afternoon at like one and there was barely anyone in the stadium and that night when it was rained out my brother said to me how about we do a dual stadium doubleheader we'll go to the Yankees in the afternoon and then we'll head over to Queens and watch the Mets and the Phillies and I said mm-hmm. yeah let's do it because it's not typical for them to be playing at the same time usually at home like they'll usually make it work out where the Yankees and Mets aren't in their places at the same time I mean sometimes there's overlap it was one of the longest days of my life but it was pretty cool going to both games and going to both stadiums in one day I would recommend if someone if you can do that if you're in in any city that has two teams if Mm -hmm. they're both playing and one's a day game one's a night game and you can swing it I think you should because it's it's pretty cool that is uh that i that does sound like a lot of fun because uh friend of the pod who's on every wednesday john taylor of Fangraphs, he did a summer tour so he bounced around he saw a bunch of different ones would you like to guess what his favorite park was that he went and saw what would you guess a baseball fan's favorite park pittsburgh yes yeah have you been (laughs) no and i want i want to go so badly i would love to go to pnc park it's amazing okay it's like it's it's kind of a travesty how beautiful and perfect that park is and how wretched that franchise is year over year it's it's just a very unfortunate cruel twist of irony that they have the best ballpark and just the worst team and ownership yes (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not fair. It's not yeah. fair because we should get playoff baseball in that city more often because it's just such a such a delight. Um, and there is no no opportunity for that uh, for that team to be turning it around anytime soon, Stacy. Um, well, we have to talk about some eliminations. The New York yes. Mets eliminated mm-hmm. from playoff contention after all the. The, just the kind of season that they've had, um, it felt about right to be eliminated when they did, um, to put a bow on just a, a, a very normal New York Mets season. New owner, doesn't matter. Things are always weird. And now they have the Michael Conforto question this winter that I'm very curious how this all works for them. Um, the Padres, I actually feel bad for. I don't know how you feel about this, but I mean, the Cardinals are up to what, 15, 16? What is their number right now? I think it's 16. Okay. That's insane. <laughs> it's just the Cardinals devil magic. I I just, I, we'll get to the Cardinals in a second. But like the Padres, they did everything right, Stacy. They went all, like so many baseball teams are not trying. They're not taking risks. They're betting on prospects. They're choosing uh, prospects that they know can't match what a veteran who might be a little bit overpaid uh, will do. So they manipulate service time, all this stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of reasons for cynicism across major league baseball right now, but they're like one of the, the great stories. Like I like San Diego going for it. AJ Preller going for it. ownership, buying in and just being like, yeah, trade for Darvish trade for Snell. Um, at sign Manny Machado, like Fernando Tatis, pay him whatever he wants. Like, they did so many things right. They traded for Frazier at the deadline, making their outfield and infield really weird. But like, I just, it just stinks, right? Like, it just, it really does that they have done every, like they did everything you would want if you're a fan of a baseball club to do. And injuries just destroyed this team. And that's why you play games and it can't be played on paper. But like, Mm-hmm. Man, I really do feel for Padres fans because, and I feel for Preller because that dude went for it again, and it. I think it, the results are obviously not what he and front office wanted, and it's cost some jobs. I mean, they're already reshuffling the farm system and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. I don't have any like that dude did everything right, and it still didn't work because I think that's life. Sometimes you can play your cards right, you can do the right thing, and then bad things can still happen to you. Go Padres. <laughs> it, it's just it's unbelievable i mean as you said injuries played a role it also didn't help that san francisco mm-hmm. came out of nowhere to win no one thought the giants would win they're up to 102 wins right yeah. now no one expected that people were expecting the dodgers and the padres to be fighting for the nl west no mm-hmm. one expected the, the the giants to come out of nowhere and when you look right now the padres are 78 and 78 they're 24 games behind the Giants. It's like, what? <laughs> when you look at the off seasons that every team had and you're thinking, wow, okay, the Padres did a lot here. This is going to be a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. it just all went sideways for them. And you just, you just have to brush your hands and, you know, wipe them, wipe the slate clean and be like, okay, this year just wasn't it. You know, things happened and just look to next year because you just have to, but yeah, did not expect that at all. That's just wow. <laughs> but they're two and eight in their last ten. They're on a three-game losing streak. They're just really 
kind of, although they did have a really hard schedule, their September schedule was hard compared to a lot of other teams. So that kind of plays a role into it too. But yeah, that, that was, that's a shocking result. The shocking is San Francisco winning 102 games is San Diego only being 500 is also just as shocking. Do you think the Dodgers want any part of the Cardinals in this wild card game? No, and I wouldn't either. Not with the way that I don't know what's happening. It feels weird that it's it's funny that the Cardinals devil magic is happening and the Giants even your bullshit is happening in an odd year. <laughs> yeah, I understand what's going on right now. Man, what? If, who was the favorite in the NL? Like, how do you do your NL playoff power rankings? Like, in hmm. terms of most likely in your in your opinion to to win the NL pennant. Oof. I think it's going to be between. I think you're going to see San Francisco and the Dodgers, and not the Dodgers, the Cardinals. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's who you're going to see. <laughs> I mean, they're going to lose at some point. I don't think the Cardinals are going to run the table. I don't think they're going to go all the way through and have like a 34 game winning streak to make it through the playoffs and win the World Series. But, um, y- you know, they'll use. The, I think they'll lose at some point. Um, before mm. the playoffs. I think they'll want to because that's too much pressure too. <laughs> to go in on such a winning streak and be like, okay, what's going to happen here? Um, yeah, I, I think, I feel like the Dodgers, we said this a few weeks ago, we were joking that maybe Cincinnati would knock them out. But yeah. now I'm feeling, I feel like the Dodgers may lose the wild card game no matter who they face. Poor Cincinnati, by the way. Yeah. Another team did everything right. They tried. They could have sold at the deadline. They were like, no, we're going to go for it. Two all-stars in the outfield. And it's just the Cardinals. Well, I mean, you can't, it's, yeah, you can't do anything against the Cardinals. I mean, if the Cardinals didn't have that crazy streak, then we're looking know, at the Reds. Philly would still be in it. Yeah. The Reds would still be in it. You know, they're both six games back of St. Louis now because of, I mean, Crazy. Philadelphia's seven and three in their last 10 Cincinnati's six and four. They're not doing horribly. It's just the Cardinals are playing out of their minds right now. Just bonkers. What mm-hmm. a, just a bonkers ending to this major league baseball season. Yeah. Um, who gets the final two wildcard spots in the AL for you? This is amazing right now. Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays still what? Two games back from the Red Sox and the Yankees. I think last time I checked, I believe so, right? Yeah. And then you have the Mariners and the A's. The, um, oh, well, yeah, okay. The A's have won three in a row. I didn't really That's what I'm saying. Like, it's down there. Like, this is going to be a crazy ending to the season. Mm -hmm. I don't see any way that the AL wildcard situation does not end on the last day. Right. I almost feel like we might have to see if there might be a a game 163 situation. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's very much in play, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I hope not, but um, ugh, yikes. Yeah, that's that's way too close. Like, I'm always one of those people that I want to see chaos in the standings, but not when my team is involved. I like it when other teams are involved. I don't want to see my team in it. <laughs> I mean, it's like when you look at it, who do you want in power rankings terms? Like if the Yankees get home field, if they get the game in Yankee Stadium, if it's between the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Mariners, A's, who do you who do you want most and who do you want the least? Most Red Sox right now because okay. the Yankees are playing well against them. I think Major League um, Baseball would want that too. <laughs> right. And least, hmm. 
I would say Blue Jays. Interesting. They scare me offensively. Okay. Yeah. They're healthy, yeah. Yeah. Is George Springer going to be available in this game? Um, yeah, I don't yeah. want Vlad Jr. in a in a wild card game. That yeah. uh, that'd be interesting. That's frightening. But I mean, you also have Giancarlo Stanton in a wild card game. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, that'd be interesting. No Mariners. No, I'd like the Mariners callback. That'd be fun. Seattle and uh, in New York. That'd be fun. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> did you see what David Ortiz said about uh, Jeter tonight? I did not because um, I was trying to avoid the ESPN sound because I can't. Or A-Rod, excuse me, what A-Rod said about Ortiz and Jeter. Excuse me. No, I okay. didn't. So A-Rod said that Ortiz was a more clutch hitter than Derek Jeter on the broadcast. <laughs> he probably said that because Jeter didn't even mention him in his Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> is that is that what it is? Like what? Uh, that was a uh, an interesting interesting thing to say on the on the broadcast. Um, I think it's you know what it is. It's ESPN. It's Boston. ESPN is in Connecticut. They always have a Boston slant when they're playing in Fenway, and they do everything in their power to make it more like it's a Nesson game, and. It's so annoying to listen to, so that's why I wasn't listening to anything, because I, I can't take it. And I was so happy that yesterday's game wasn't on Fox, and I didn't have to deal with John Smoltz. So, mm. you know, it was bad enough that tonight's game was on ESPN. Um, no offense to the people that um, follow me from ESPN. You know, I love you all. You're great. But the Sunday night broadcast is absolutely horrible. The game is secondary. Mm-hmm. They yap in the booth about the dumbest things. It's it's almost like they don't pay attention to the game that's happening, and it drives me crazy. And we I grew up, and it was it. so awesome. It yeah. used to be appointment awesome television. I actually miss John Miller and Joe Morgan. Oh, I miss Joe John Miller a bunch. Peace. Morgan yeah. during the broadcast, I did not miss Joe Morgan as a commentator but well compared to Vaskersian yeah. and A-Rod True. I would take Miller and Morgan over them any day just get Miller back that's all I want Miller was awesome he has just a great voice too for it um and not small it's not A-Rod I don't know who the right guy is who's who's the best color commentator right now in baseball who could they elevate and put in that spot David Cohn would be really good but I don't want to lose him from yes true because he's the kind of former player mm-hmm. who doesn't trash the current state of baseball. Mm-hmm. He's into stats. He understands that the game is changing and that it has always changed and that maybe it might go back to the way it was at some point. But right now, things are different. And he gets that. And he doesn't bitch and moan every five seconds like John Smoltz does. Like, you know, baseball's constantly complaining that people enough people aren't watching but if you put people on your national broadcasts that are complaining about the current state of baseball why would anyone want to watch yeah it's it's not good which brings us to johnny bench shout out to him for um being a cool cool veteran and calling out salvi perez and congratulating him on breaking his record like that's the kind of stuff you want to see right celebrating Mm -hmm. and be like no he's awesome great good for him (laughs) <laughs> like that's all you gotta do good for him right. awesome way to go not and what a season he's having my god right like salvi perez the the top it's of the, the one it's the one uh good thing for the royals the poor royals but i think are the twins still worse than the royals because the yes. twins were doing really bad right yes oh my god they are yeah wow it's three and a half games mm-hmm. holy cow <laughs> the royals like 
I don't know. They they moved around their front office. They just promoted Dayton Moore out of the day to day stuff. Um, we'll see what changes there. I mean, they have Bobby Witt Jr. coming up. He seems like he's going to be a star. Mondesi's healthy again. He's been hitting well. Got Nicky Lopez in there. I mean, they got some dudes. We'll see. We'll see. Right. Whit Merrifield's still there. Um, the AL Central is also just like kind of gettable. The Tigers are kind of rising, and we just thought the Twins would be there for a while, and the Twins have just had the season from hell. And I don't know. Yeah. Do you believe that the White Sox are not going to be combustible over the next couple of years? Like with La Russa, is this just going to be a normal thing? Are they really going to lock this down the AL Central for a three-year span? Like, I don't I don't know. We'll see. The AL Central is interesting over the next couple of years. I don't know. Um, it feels like the AL Central is always interesting. Yeah. You know, there's there always seems to be one team that's way above everyone else. And mm-hmm. then when that one team gets into the playoffs, they don't do well because yeah. they've been beating up on their own division for the whole year. And then once they face good teams, and if you look at the White Sox record against good teams, yep. they're not that great against good teams. So it could be one of those situations that they get into the playoffs and get their asses swept out. I mean, I could see <laughs> no that. No matter how good the team is, because they have really good components. They have good starting pitching. They have good relievers. They have good hitters. The coach is questionable, but, you know, um, I just, I don't know. I feel like depending on who they're matched up against. I mean, if they get the um, Astros, it's it's going to be trouble, I think. And I think if they get the Rays, it'll also be trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's not looking good. I, I would, I, I'm not as optimistic about uh, about the White Sox right now, especially Rodon. I don't know if there's been an update on him. Um, Otani. Mm-hmm. Speaking frankly, Stacy, about his future in Los Angeles, he might not do what uh, Mike Trout did, which was, let me check my notes here, punt on his prime by taking a lot of money. Um, I don't feel bad for Mike Trout anymore. He could have no, been I... paid a lot of money by any team he wanted to, and he locked himself in. Like, yeah. he he's going to make more money than his children's children will ever be able to spend. I get all of that. Do what you got to do. However, he made his choice. Mike Trout knew what this organization was. He yep. knew where they were going. He knew Nowhere. this was bad. I don't feel bad for Mike Trout anymore. Like, he he did this to himself. Yep. He made sure that he never plays a playoff game in the 2020s. Like Seriously. That, I, I it's don't, so frustrating yeah. that the Angels have... Well, I mean, he hasn't played since May. And I, I think the headline on ESPN yesterday was, you know, Mike Trout's not going to come back this season. It's like, yeah, there's like six games Well, no, he so like the Cron was like he gave up. Like, I think it was like Mike Trout's given up coming back this season. Right. And <laughs> Which, it's like, yeah. it's so frustrating that they have these two generational players. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they don't do anything to make the team better around them it's not good it's just the biggest waste and i just if i was in baseball's corporate office i would just be losing my mind that we have these two all-time talents that we need to have across all billboards in the playoffs we need them around in october like Shohei otani could be your biggest star in a different market and it's los angeles so he's in the perfect market for what they want and it doesn't matter and and the only time you get to see him is the all-star game because The Angels are not good enough to be put on Sunday Night Baseball right. or on, on a Fox game. It's ridiculous. It, I mean, just an all-time season that nobody saw from Otani. Yeah. Um, it's just sad. Uh, but he's, like I said, like to bring it all back, he is not locked in um, and giving the Yankees the rest of his prime. Uh, he's He spoke very frank about it this week. So 
that's something to monitor. Uh, Otani is not just going to be like, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> this not making the playoffs and me doing this amazing historic stuff uh, does not mean I'm going to stay, even if you offer me uh, a third of California. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, um, which is cool. And yep. uh, until he's a future Yankee, and then we're all just like, oh no, oh no. That would be. I I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. It's a possibility. We like the fact that he's open about this now. Like, if he leaves, he's leaving for a contender and contender mm-hmm. that can can spend and can afford him. So it's the New Yorks, it's the Dodgers, it the Astros won't do it. We know that the White Sox won't do it. We know that it would be something. If he could go to the Dodge, like if he went to the Dodgers and he was able, because I know he would prefer to stay on the West Coast. Yeah. Um. Jesus, like just even thinking about. <laughs> Him on the Dodgers. Like, what? <laughs> I want him to go to the Mariners. That'd be cool. What a story. I would like that. The Mariners would be fun. Um, but we would have to see. We would have to see. Um, MLB is experiencing it with uh, experimenting with pre-track balls in AAA. Do you like this? Yes. Okay. I do. Because I said when the sticky stuff nonsense was happening that MLB should come up with a substance that everyone can use, that they approve... That makes it safe for them to grip the ball because they do that in, do they do that in Korea or do they do that in Japan or do they do it in both places? I can't remember, but there's, there's a league in Asia where they do that. They have the tacky stuff that they all use and it's all regulated. So it's not like some sort of sneaky thing. And I think MLB should definitely do it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, This is a smart thing. I think this is an easy thing and this would be, uh, this would be good. I agree. Um, what I don't know would be a good thing is Billy Bean in the New York Mets front office. Ugh. Nothing to it, but as of yet, but his name's floating around. Theo Epstein obviously has been floated around because he would get like a minor ownership stake, um, like being a part of his deal, uh, if he's up to it, but I don't know. Do you think Billy Bean in a big market, like that just... It's just funny that like he never did it and people finally moved on because that was the whole thing for so long. How much of the baseball fan discourse is like, now just imagine Billy Bean with a New York Yankees payroll or uh, insert high payroll here. He's done it in Oakland forever, but you give him money to spend and then we're cooking. But it's like, we don't know. Like we've seen this across other sports now where it's like, maybe he was just really good at working in small markets because that's where he's really good at but like when you give him a big payroll maybe he's in over his head maybe he's just like i don't know how to do this um because it's a very different world but billy bean's a smart guy i i don't know i also don't know i want to work for steve cohen can we can we say that (laughs) see that's the other thing it's like the mets are a disaster Mm -hmm. not just the way the team played this year, but all the other stuff going on behind the scenes, the Jared Porter nonsense, the Mickey Calloway nonsense, Sandy Alderson just brushing things under the rug, but then getting upset when Javi Baez says something. It's like, what? There's just so much stuff going on that I don't know why anyone would want to go to the Mets right now to do anything, honestly. Like, that's why when people are like, oh, Theo Epstein... Why would Theo Epstein want to do that? Maybe the challenge of it, but Steve Cohen is like, I don't know know if I could work for him. 
I don't know if I could work for an owner who's constantly tweeting, which is like, what are you doing, dude? Run your baseball team. Get off of Twitter. Just he just stop. he can't do it. I... It's ridiculous. You know, I know I know people are thinking in their heads, Theo Epstein helped the Red Sox win after, you know, the he reversed that curse. He reversed the Cubs curse. Maybe he'll, you know, the Mets haven't won since 1986. It's been 35 years. Maybe Theo Epstein will turn things around. Not with this ownership. And I know everyone was like so excited because it's not the Wilpons anymore, but it almost feels like it's worse now. It's just a different kind of bad. You know what I mean? Where I think friend of the pod. It's still bad. Right. It's just a different kind of bad. (laughs) Yes. And it's different kinds of rich circles, right? Like the Wilpon circle of plutocrats is very different than Cohen's uh, Mm -hmm. circle of plutocrats. It's just a different, different variation. Uh, Robert Silverman of the Daily Beast pointed that out. And I just, I think that's a a very astute uh, observation because I do think that's what's happening here. So I don't know. We'll see. Still year one, but uh, not optimistic. And if I'm Billy Bean, I'm staying away from this job. And if I'm anyone outside of, like, someone who is concerned they may not get back in baseball. They're like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get another GM job. I guess I'll take this one and all the money in the world. Um, winners and losers from this week in baseball for you, Stacey Gutsoy. could be a team, player. Who are your winners? Who are your losers? Well, I would, I would guess the Cardinals are winners because... Yeah. They won't stop winning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> losers. Hmm. Okay. On the Saturday, the Saturday night game, or the Saturday late afternoon into evening game between the Yankees and the Red Sox, before Giancarlo Stanton came up with the bases loaded, the Nesson broadcast, Dennis Eckersley and... Oh, is it Dan O'Brien? Is that his name? I think um, so. They were waxing poetically about Alex Cora going out to talk to Darwinson Hernandez and trying to calm him down. And this is what a manager does and just yapping. And then first pitch fastball, Giancarlo bashes it 452 feet into the air, gives the Yankees the lead. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't realize that that had happened until this morning when someone was uh, passing the clip around on Twitter. Just to hear them talking about Alex Cora is a real manager. Usually the pitching coach goes out there to talk to the pitcher now, but he's going to say something to Hernandez and help him out. And my thought is, did he tell him to throw a weak 94-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle for Giancarlo Stanton to hit into Maine? Like, what? So those are my two losers for the week because I think I just think it's so funny that... Um, and even on the ESPN broadcast tonight, they wouldn't stop... Um, how do I say this delicately? <laughs> Kissing Cora's butt. Mm. He's the best. He's this. He's that. Oh, my God. I just can't. So I was just very happy that the Yankees won both those games and the things that Cora did backfired and everyone can stop now. So, yeah, those are my losers. Dennis Eckersley and O'Brien from the Nesson broadcast because that was just great. <laughs> True or false? Aaron Boone is the New York Yankees manager in 2022. Ugh. Well, Okay. The reason I'm asking is because of the core gushing, and I was just thinking about that. Like, that kind of settled for a little bit. We haven't gotten a lot of that. Uh, yeah. God, if they make the playoffs, yes. Okay. I think 
he'll be there in 2022. Even if he um, loses the wild card game? I think so. Okay. I think so. But I don't know. See, oh, God. You know, because he's done. I mean, he really tried to lose uh, tonight's game. Um, thankfully, Giancarlo Stan and Aaron Judge were not having it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, and he's there are I could probably count off at least 10 games, at least that were lost because of things that Boone did at least 10, maybe even 15 this season because of stupid mistakes that he's made. Um, even either leaving someone in too long um, or not bringing in the guy that was supposed to come in or making a lineup that, you know, when they were going for sweeps, he would do like a house money lineup. Like, oh, all right, well, we won two out of three. Why do we need a third game? Uh, because you need to win every game that you possibly can. I don't know. I really, I can't see them firing him if they make the playoffs, even if they lose the wild card game, because he's their yes guy. He does everything that the front office wants him to do, which it's not entirely Boone's fault, but the in-game decision-making is his fault. Lineups and stuff like that, that's probably coming from the front office and not totally his fault. But there are certain things that he does during games that drive most of us Yankee fans insane. And 2022 is going to be if you know if the season starts on time and there isn't a labor dispute um yeah it's going to be we're not going to have patience for him at all Mm. yeah not good not good um (laughs) do you have a favorite baseball sport a baseball story you read this week stacy i do not i will admit my adhd was really bad this week i try what did i try i tried to read something and i made it two paragraphs in and i just my brain was not allowing me to do it I just have these weeks sometimes where my my brain's like, nope, you can't read anything. Don't even try. So, you know, it was that kind of a week for me. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. How about you? Ooh, putting me on the spot. That's only fair, right? If I'm going to ask you (laughs) the question, um, I will uh, will attest. I am very deep into football season and Mm -hmm. basketball previews. So I've been devouring much of that. And then uh, the New York Times, I, I read... Generally speaking, cover to cover, there was a really good piece on... Uh, this is not baseball. That's what I'm going to go with today because it really stuck out to me uh, on productivity, actually, um, mm. in New York Times Magazine today, the Sunday edition that I very much love. And it was just uh, it was about this author who um, just has been studying productivity and what it means and like what uh, white people are, aren't happy and what the pandemic's happening with in terms of productivity and people who um, working from home with kids and their level of productivity and being interrupted versus people that don't. And it, it's just a really, really fascinating read um, as to how we define productivity and how much emphasis we put on it and um, the problems with that in American culture. Um, I, I mean, I suffer from it where it's just like this constant need to create and be productive is like, uh, ingrained in us mm-hmm. in a young age and um i don't know it's i thought it was a really really fascinating fascinating piece but nothing specifically major baseball for me sticks out um so yeah a lot of good pieces out there but i do not have a specific baseball one at the moment yeah there is a lot of good stuff out there and that's why i can't stand when my brain does this to me because i want to be able to read stuff and my brain is just like nope not today not doing it today (laughs) hey we can always there's always tomorrow get better tomorrow and hey it's just it's it don't sweat the small stuff um focus on the 
your health because there's nothing more important than your health and all that good stuff. Um, Stacy, what can we what can we ch- check out and look out for you across Locked On Yankees this week? Well, uh, the Yankees are off on Monday, which is uh, could be a good thing because there are a couple of guys banged up from Sunday night's game, and. Uh, they start a big series against Toronto. I'll have the preview of that probably on Tuesday's episode. Um, Monday's episode is going to be all about the sweep in Boston. Um, but yeah, big three-game series in Toronto. First time they're in Toronto in two years because of the pandemic. And Toronto, I believe, is opening up their attendance from 15,000 to 30,000. So it's going to be kind of loud in Rogers Center compared to how it's been the past a uh, month or so that they've been able to play up there. So um, it's that's a big series. The Blue Jays are not far behind the Yankees in the wild card, as we spoke about earlier in the episode. So look for that this week. And also the IBWAA podcast. Um, we have some good stuff coming up this week, good discussions coming up this week. So that's where you can find all my stuff. Awesome. We'll go to that follower at Stay Scott's. S. Scott's? Stay Scott's? Is it Stay Scott's? Stay Scots. Yep. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, Stay Scots. And go subscribe to Locked On Yankees if you have not already. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Go do that. Stacy, keep up the great work. Have a great week and uh, stay safe out there. You too. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.